I have a couple things I'd like to do with us this morning, if we could, and, and if you'll indulge us in that. We are a family, right? And, uh, and we're going to be starting a new series, and this, uh, I don't know if it's a series, we're going to start walking through the book of Acts. And um, as I've been studying, book of Acts is really a lot of history. And so what we're going to be looking at is, is the history of the beginning of the church. But there's many times that when somebody comes to know the Lord, who's been saved? And you know it. Say amen. amen. <laughs> if you're saved, then you know it. Say amen, right? So a lot of times when someone's first saved, I'll say, well, in your Bible, go to the book of John and at least read the book of John. That's the life of Christ and gives you a good idea of who Christ is because that's who saves us because of his death on the cross, we're saved. Then I'll say, go to the book of Acts, that tells you about the church. Then go to the book of Romans, and it starts telling you how to live as a Christian. And, and, they're, and it's convenient, because they're all in a row. But uh, as we start to get into the study of the book of Acts, remember the first message this year where I was challenged, and I challenged you to what? Risk everything. Risk it all, Right? That's what they did in the book of Acts. And when they did that, birthed out of that is what we call church. Because they risked everything. But why? Why did they risk everything? It's because of what they experienced with Christ in the Gospels. Uh, The book of Acts is written by Luke. There's a book named after Luke, and he wrote that one too. And, And when he wrote the book of Luke, he was writing it, because a man had asked him to, more or less, uh, and he references him in the first verse of Acts, O Theophilus. And so he, as he was writing this book, he, he's writing it as a record of things that have occurred. It wasn't a fictitious story. It was very, very true and very, very real. And what was amazing about this story is that it's very much alive. That's what's unique. You can buy a lot of books, but very few books are alive. Sometimes you can walk away from a good book and you, you will have read it and it will stick with you for a while until you read another good book. But this one, if you'll read it, it will stay with you for eternity. And not just read it to say that I read it, but read it so it can be alive in you. In this first chapter today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And in there, they were commanded to do something. And that was to wait. Who likes to wait? I don't like to wait. Now, last night I waited for 10 and a half, 11 hours for pork roast to get done. I was trying to make pulled pork, and for some reason, it wanted to take all day to be made. So about one o'clock last night, I finally put it in the tray and stuck it in the fridge. I didn't like waiting, but if I hurried it along, it wasn't going to be good. So we just sang a song earlier this morning about waiting upon the Lord. I want you to think about waiting upon the Lord. 
As you're thinking about that, I want to invite Vanessa Crisolo to come on up. Vanessa is, um, we're going to take some time this morning to recognize, yes, Vanessa, but recognize the call that God has placed on her life. And, and the reason, let me get a microphone, the reason... The reason I want to go about it like this is as we talk about waiting upon the Lord, I remember a word. It's probably been two years ago. When I graduated from MA school. When you graduated? Medical assistant school. And, and they did the, the graduation thing. What was the word? To wait patiently. <laughs> yeah. Eagerly waiting, that was the term. Eagerly waiting was the topic of discussion, but I was told to wait. Patiently. Yeah. You can't leave patiently. <laughs> well, and I, I'm not our, a patient person. It's hard, isn't Learning. it? Learning. Who likes to wait? As I said earlier, we don't like to wait. No. And so what, what, what have we been waiting on? To be children, to work with the children's ministry and be the leader of children's ministry. Right. And it's a desire of your heart. Completely. You know, I was, um, I, I thought about that this morning, how awesome it is that God has, was faithful in his promise, as he always is, and how awesome it was that you waited patiently for such a time as this. Um, it says in, um, this is for you, but for all of us, it says in Matthew 18, we'll start with chapter 1, that the disciples at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they were having this identity struggle and crisis and calling to him a child. So, so Jesus saw the importance of having a childlike faith, not to have a human identity other than being his child. And so it says in calling to him a child, so they're all gathering around and he calls this child to the center of them. Put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's our challenge. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And then then there's a caution that says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's not while she's here up here this morning. She's here because it says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. If the elders could come and join me this morning, Dina, maybe the elder spouses as well, if you would join us. We want to take time to... Pray for Vanessa. Her uh, husband had to run one of, the, one of the four little ones home. She has a newborn. She's got some medical things coming up. And I can tell you when you enter into ministry, the enemy does not like it. He has no power and authority over us, but he doesn't like it. And so we want to agree that as we anoint you this morning, that God has got you. And then we all are with you. Because what you've chosen is something that's very good. 
and you've chosen to receive the children, and by receiving them and teaching them, it's as if you're receiving the Lord. What an awesome call, and good for you in waiting patiently. So this morning, Vanessa, we anoint you. We anoint you because of the call that's on your life, and we recognize the call that God's placed on you. We did not call you. It was God that called you out. Even as a young girl, he called you out for such a time as this. All things leading to this moment, and this moment leading to even a greater moment in time. But Lord, we thank you for calling out Vanessa. Now, Lord, we pray. We pray that you will protect her and and protect her family. Guide her thoughts. Give her wisdom to teach. Give her wisdom to direct, Lord. Give her a passion for the lost child. Give her a passion to direct them to the cross. Lord, give her a, a love that's overflowing. Compassion for the little ones as you had compassion for them, Lord. I thank you for Vanessa and that she has chosen to be used by you. And so, Lord, we honor you and glorify you through this ministry, Lord. And again, bless the Crisolo family, all their children. Be with Rudy as the priest of the household. Bless him, Lord, as he covers Vanessa and the family. Lord, I thank you for looking out for all of us and giving us wonderful people to serve with. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Scott. The thing that comes to mind is that for starters, for those of you who don't know me, I wasn't, it's not like I've always been this way. I actually come from a drug addiction, alcohol addiction. Um, so this is not, I didn't just become part of the children's ministry. When I first started coming to the church, I actually started coming when they asked me to do um, nursery. I actually was a paid babysitter to do the nursery, and I didn't want to do it. Um, then I started volunteering upstairs, and again, it was like, I there was a struggle. I didn't want to do it, and I, I left it, and I went to go do something else, but God patiently waited until I came back, so it was hand in hand. It wasn't just um, he waited patiently for me, and then I waited yeah. patiently back for him, so yeah. but it, it, does, it's not always, it didn't always start out this way, so I just wanted to encourage somebody out there that it doesn't matter where you are, he can You're use you. Absolutely. Thank you. The book of Acts, it's in the New Testament, it's the fifth book in the Bible, or in the New Testament, I should say. And we're going to start right at the beginning, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read the text, 1 through 11, and we'll get into the message. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And this is Luke writing, talking to Theophilus. Until the day when he was taken up, he being Jesus, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, because earlier he had said, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That is a whole bunch of stuff, good stuff. And I did a whole lot of studying on this, and we're not going to even touch a lot of that today. But there's a few things that I would like to point out. And as I mentioned earlier, this whole idea of waiting. uh, What was it that they were to wait for? As we read in there, it says they were to wait for the, the coming of the helper that was earlier talked about by Jesus. He was going to send this helper. Man, there's just so much I want to share with you this morning. And I'm starting to realize I may not get to share all of it with you. See, Jesus, when he died, before I get to the helper, when Jesus died and rose again three days later, he rose again in this new form. It's an amazing thing because when he came to life again, it wasn't that he was just healed from death and and came back to life in this body that would continue to age to die. The body he came back in was an eternal body. Flesh and bone, yes, but eternal. Which, theologically, I want to share some things with you today. If, if you're new to church, there's a few things you ought to know. That when Christ died on the cross, He died for your sins. When He rose again, He put death to bed. Death has no more sting. Death does not have any more power over us. That's important in this life, but then what happens as we believe in that in our hearts and confess with our mouths that we are saved, that allows us to now spend eternity with Him. Now, there will be a day, as the two angels describe to the apostles, that He will return from heaven again to take us with Him, and He will then create a new earth. A perfect way, wherein we will have a perfect body. I get excited about this. Who hurts this morning? Has aches and pains? I experienced a near stumble and fall the other day, which was bizarre to me because I don't fall. And and it was weird. It was like I I came around the corner. It was slippery because it had rained. And it took everything in me to keep from not hitting the ground. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I don't fall. Yes, I've slipped, but I never got into the place where I think I'm going to fall. Now, I don't know if that's an aging thing or what. But for me, it was shocking. But then I was thinking about this, that Jesus came back and demonstrated for us what our new body will be like one day. Think about it. But he came back and he spent 40 days with the disciples in this new body. 
in this new flesh. And he, he spent 40 days talking to him, explaining things to him. Now, what was exciting, I can imagine it was very exciting for the disciples. They had spent three and a half years, and it was crazy. What, what, I heard the verse yesterday in Men's Prayer Breakfast that if they were to write everything that Jesus had done, it couldn't be contained in, in, in the pages of this book, or couldn't be contained, I guess, to, in all the books in the world. Just, there was so much that he had done, they could not even tell you about it. In, in a span of three years, and, and the disciples were with him during that time. How exciting must that have been? People being healed. People being set free. Oh, what an awesome time. And then there was this dramatic period of time where I'm sure it was very tumultuous, hard, where Jesus was being judged and then to be crucified. You know how it is when you're preparing for a wedding, how busy and how tired you can get. You know how it is when you're preparing for a memorial service and how tired you can get. Imagine how busy the disciples had been for three years. And then the end of it, how tired they must have been at the crucifixion of Jesus. Just the emotion of it all would have been tiring. would wear a person out. And then three days later, he comes back. And, and the enthusiasm about that, that they're getting to spend time with Jesus again. They had just mourned his death. And, and as I said back in Easter, they didn't fully understand, I think, that what the resurrection was going to be all about. But then as it happened, it all became clear to them. And so for 40 days, I imagine they were in awe. I'm sure they were in awe of what Jesus was doing. But then he leaves them. They were absent and his presence was gone. He was absent and his presence had left him, but he said to wait for 10 days. What was that 10 days like? I can't, I can't imagine. He had, he had explained some things to the disciples before he left. And, and it, it was interesting because in, in the third verse of chapter 1, I believe it is, that he had to prove to them that it was him, that he had indeed came back. He had to um, explain to them the kingdom of God again as I'm sure he had done. Do you think they were a captive audience? Have we, remember I I, I talked about capturing our wandering thoughts? I'm sure there were times in Jesus' ministry where the disciples' thoughts were wandering. I'm not sure that in that 40 days that their thoughts would wander as much. Because what had died had become new. And they were hearing from it with their own ears. And while staying with them in verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So prior to that time, so he tells them to wait for this promise. I would believe at that point in time that because he had fulfilled so many promises and they had seen so many promises fulfilled, that they really believed this promise would come to pass. 
And when he said it was the promise of his father, that was a guarantee. It was a 100% guarantee that it would be fulfilled. Why? Because our father's promises are always yes and amen. They are never maybe. They're not man's promises. You're going to hear a tremendous amount of promising during this election period, right? And you're going to look back four years from now and say, wait a minute, they promised and it didn't happen. Well, they're not God, thankfully. Our God is God and we need not worry We need not fret, we need not get concerned about the promises of man if we stand upon the promises of God. We worry, we fret, we get upset about the promises of man because we put too much weight into the promise of man. Because man will promise and man will fail, but God's promises never fail. So why ought we to worry any longer if we truly believe and if we're truly disciples? Base all your living upon the promises of God. And so he told the disciples, go and wait for the promise of the Father, the guarantee which I told you about. Remember when John baptized with water? You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, there was this, that period of time, that 10 days that they had to wait. Now, when God tells you something, is it a guarantee that 10 days later he'll, it'll come to be? Not necessarily. That was just true for them at that time. I would love it because then I could actually set my calendar according to, you know, my planner would be set up and I would have an agenda and, oh good, I got 10 days, so in 10 days I can get X, Y, and Z done and then... No, that wasn't, they didn't know how many days. They were told to wait. And then this thing, this being baptized with the Holy Spirit was going to happen. So, as he's still with them, their expectation, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, that we have certain expectations that we contrive in our own mind. Their expectation was, since he had fulfilled the prophecy of being crucified and resurrected again, then he must going to be fulfilling the fact that Israel's kingdom would be reestablished. And that, that soon, like now, Jesus, you're going to get armies to come in and reestablish Israel. You guys will hear today in modern times about Israel and battles and, and people talking about Israel in the news all the time. It amazes me because the size of Israel on a geographic level is very small. But in the media, news, and whatnot, it's talked about very frequently. Why? Because spiritually, it's huge. This is not a political statement. This is a spiritual statement that Christians, believers, disciples support Israel. Why? Because Israel is God's chosen people. To not support Israel would to be not supporting God's chosen people. What's amazing, though, is that they're not the only chosen ones. That's what Paul later explains to us in the New Testament, is that we too now have been adopted as if we're those chosen ones to also be His chosen ones, to also be His children. 
So at that time, they had thought, well, God or Jesus is now the time that you're going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel because the kingdom of Israel was really under uh, Roman rule at that time. They were not in charge. They were oppressed. So then, where am I at? Verse 6, right? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons. (laughs) Oh, come on, God. I want to know. But it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. We will not know the time or season that he restores Israel. We will not know the time or season that he sends his son again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The theme of the book of Acts is in that verse. The whole book of Acts is really summarized in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, to really take us to a place in our lives where we would understand what salvation was about. He wrote the book of Acts to let us know that it doesn't stop with salvation. It starts anew. There's this thing out there called the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us to go into all the world and make disciples, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. It wasn't to stop with our salvation, but we were to go and do. This is truly, our call is to be evangelistic in nature. There was, so there's this transition from the book of Luke to the book of Acts that says, now that you've been saved, wait upon the Lord so you can be equipped to fulfill the Great Commission. Unfortunately, today our churches are full of people that are stuck, maybe in the book of Luke. And they've not been able to step out and start experiencing what they were... And the thing is, is that Acts is about church. It's the definition of church. So those that are stuck in Luke are going to church, but they're not being the church. Because being the church would mean to risk everything. There's going to be some real challenging things that are going to come out of this book. I'm warning you. I'm preparing you. Where is your heart? Because if you truly want to be the church, you have to be willing to completely deny yourself. Not a good salesman, am I? Because that's really hard to do. Because from the waking up every morning to the going bed every day, we're trying to take care of ourselves. That's been more or less how we've been developed or trained or, or raised. That's really how the world has defined it for us. And then, even in here, we're now being challenged to wait upon the Lord. Well, waiting's not something that we really like to do too much. My in-laws, they live in uh, Missouri, 
different way of life, about a third of the speed of California, even driving. Everything, I mean, what I can get done in a half hour is a day's project. Because what's the hurry? They, but they'll, they, they, they travel back and forth between Missouri and California, and they, my mother-in-law once said that coming to California is like being in Disneyland. It's like always on the go, always something to do, another thing before you, another thing to watch, another thing to do. Um, we really are wrapped up in that. So much so that we're not able to be the disciples in the community, be the church in the community because of all the action and distraction that's going on. I, I shared in men's breakfast the other day, yesterday, this week I had gone to Starbucks, yeah, I, I go there a lot, to get coffee, and the Starbucks I was going to, it's crazy in the morning. I mean, uh, people, there's a, there's a drive-through, and they're always backed up. People are always trying to cut each other off, jockeying for position. Um, the parking's not really good, and and, and so you, it's not necessarily faster to go in, but I also don't want to deal with the drama of the drive-through and, and all for coffee, right? And, and so man's nature would be, oh, just, I can't believe, Jennifer, my sister, works here in the office, and she had said she was there one morning, and somebody didn't follow the protocol and tried to cut in a certain way, and the guy behind her was honking at her, and, and then the guy, girl that cut her off was just ignoring him, and, and it was just all this drama, right? That's the distraction of life, though, right? So, so this particular morning, Tuesday, I go there, and, and I uh, went to get my coffee, and God's showing me, even coming to church this morning, God was, uh, keeps... Somebody was getting ready to turn left in front of me. There was no traffic coming, so they could go ahead and turn left, but they didn't, which caused me to have to stop. How dare them cause me to have to stop, right? This is the sin nature within us. This is the human condition. And, and I remember as soon as that was happening, I was like, oh, okay, God, don't let this be me, right? Somebody asked me this week, and I'll get back to this story at Starbucks. Somebody asked me this week, they said, um, pray for, FYI, pray for Henry Tucker. Henry Tucker's been a pastor in this town, awesome man of God, for many, 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 many years. He has cancer, and he's now home on hospice. And, and I've been able to meet with his son periodically and talk with him about it and pray with him. But keep him in your prayers. This man, though, I was talking to this week, says, I wish I could be like him at peace with things in this life. He says, and we start talking about road rage and traffic issues and things like that. And, and he was saying, I get upset. I wish I didn't do that. I think what I want to encourage you in this morning is when those things happen, though, recognize it, take time to repent and confess and ask God to make you better because from glory to glory, he changes us. He doesn't say you're saved and now you're perfect. No, you're saved, work out your salvation from glory to glory. He's changing you. Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And as that happens, you get better in your walk. Wait upon the Lord. So I go to Starbucks, and and it was crazy that morning. And I thought, no, Lord, I I was just getting back to work. I don't want to be hectic and crazy. I don't want to be wild. I just want my thoughts upon you, God. You know, we had all this time together while I was off work, and 
I just want to focus upon you and happy-go-lucky. And So what happened, my mind was in a better place, less distracted about all the activity going around. I patiently went in and stood in line, got my coffee, and as I'm coming out, I see this homeless man sitting there on the curb. And so I said hi, and he said hi right back, and we started into this conversation for about 30 minutes. But whatever that conversation was about, what I want you to get out of this was, if I was distracted by the activities of life, I would not have seen the man. If my mind would have been where the enemy would want my mind, he would have me completely distracted, completely frustrated, and completely inactive in ministry. Now, I, that was a good example. I probably have 150 other bad examples. But I want there to be fewer of those and more of these. And that's my desire for you, is be a disciple, active in your walk with Christ, not inactive because of the distractions of life. Well, how do we get there? Well, we need some power. We need some authority. We need the ability to be able to do that. And how we get that is we need to wait upon the Lord because He will send the Helper to equip us, to empower us, the Holy Spirit, to be able to overcome these things. Holy Spirit, direct my thoughts today. Holy Spirit, go before me today. Reign and rule within my life today. Call upon the Lord. Wait upon Him. And He will renew your strength. So the disciples, they're promised this Holy Spirit that was going to come upon them. And then they will be witnesses The Holy Spirit should come upon you and you should be witnesses. He says, where? In Jerusalem, in Woodland, in Judea, Yolo County, Samaria, Northern California, and to the ends of the earth. That's really what he was saying here. And and you'll look, the first third of Acts was really Jerusalem. The middle third of Acts was Judea. And the end of Acts was Samaria and the end of the earth. It really is the theme of of the book of Acts. Now, and when he had said these things, Jesus still in these 40 days was with him. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud. We talk about God's glory. God's glory many times can either be fire or it can be a cloud. This was the Shekinah glory. That all of a sudden as Jesus was lifted up, and this is kind of teaching and preaching together this morning, but as he was lifted up, it was a demonstration that, that there is a place that he was taken to. There was times that in those 40 days, this is some theology for you again, there was time during those 40 days that Jesus would just appear, and then he would be gone, and then he would appear again. It didn't say that Jesus came walking across the water, it said he appeared, But in this situation, as he was sharing with the disciples, it says Jesus was lifted up, and then he disappeared in this cloud. I believe it was the Shekinah glory of the Lord. He disappeared in this cloud. It was important for the disciples to see that he was going to a place. Because in knowing that, we now know that we have a place. And the place is, we're not of this world. The place is not this world. The place is the place that he is at now, at the right hand of his Father. So he was lifted up into this cloud. It's taken out of their sight. And while they were going into heaven, 
As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, a couple things from this. When, when we encounter great things with the Lord, it's important to wait upon the Lord for the next great thing. They had something they needed to do. They needed to wait upon the Lord. And I think that there was this time of, wow, he's gone. Maybe it was a little heartbreaking. And Jesus almost sounds in a cold way, had told people many times that had said they wanted to follow him to leave behind your loved ones and then come after me. Well, I have to go bury the one that just died. Let the dead bury the dead and come after me. Here was another situation where Jesus was lifted up, and they stood there just gazing into heaven, probably a little heartbroken, somewhat in awe of what they had just seen. And they had to be reminded, hey, now go. What are you looking at? He's not here. Go and wait upon the Lord. Go and do what He commanded you to do. And yes, one day He will come again in the same way, but go and do something. Where are you at in your walk? Have you experienced something in the Lord and you're so in awe of that experience that you're not moving on to the next thing? It doesn't nullify what happened, but it's important to grow in your walk. It's important to say this was one of the stones that built my walk, that built my ministry, and there's another stone to be built upon and another and another, and I need to keep moving forward, but I need to keep waiting upon the Lord and hearing His voice. What did they do in those 10 days as they were waiting on the Lord after he left? This was important for me to know. And this is important for you to know. That they all came together in one accord. It wasn't a Honda. It was all together. That was an old church joke from when I was a kid. All the, I always pictured clowns getting in a Honda Accord. They were all in one accord. But they all came together in unity one accord, one mind, one thought, one passion. I, I imagine, imagine the passion of the disciples. I find myself as I'm even preaching the message and studying this message, I keep thinking of all this as past tense. Because what was so real now, it's hard to find today. What was so real then, is hard to find today. What was so passionate then, sometimes it's hard to find today. What was so outstanding and one accord like then is hard to find today. What is that one accord? They were all one mind, one passion, one focus, one thought. But they came together and prayed in one accord for 10 days. Prayed and prayed and prayed. I keep saying 10 days, but if it had been 20 days, I believe they would have prayed. If it had been 30 days, I believe they would have been in one accord and prayed. Because they were so set upon who God was and what He had done, who Jesus was and what He had done, that they could not, could not do anything else. Actually, let me take you to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. I have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the, heaven, of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint 
Is this for you this morning? The disciples had been through a tremendous amount of activity, good activity, God activity. And now there was this 10 days of wait. He gives because he was going to send power. And they were going to wait until this power came. And then in Isaiah, it says he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. The next verse. Even youths, youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The way of the world is when you're weary, you run to something else. You run to a retreat. You run to a vacation. You run... It's interesting is in the Christian walk, when we take a vacation... That's not the time that we take a vacation from the Lord. As a believer, we ought to uh, find times in our lives, yes, that we will wait and that we will find some rest and relaxation. But let me encourage you, it's not for the flesh. Because there's a constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. But when the flesh is weary, what do we try to serve? The flesh. This is saying, wait on the Lord. It doesn't say, sleep it off. It doesn't say, take a vacation. It doesn't say, Sunday morning, I'm sleepy, I'm tired, I had a long week, I'll skip church this week. That's not what that says. It says, wait for the Lord. Come and be in His presence, and He'll renew your strength. (laughs) And not just where you were, but to a place where you can soar. You, You shall mount up with wings like eagles. You shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because what happens with the disciples, you'll hear later, is it wasn't just them following Jesus at that point. They got activated. They started soaring like eagles. People were being saved and added to the church by the thousands. It was an awesome ministry. Mounted up with wings like eagles, running and not being weary, and walking and not fainting. It's not the time to rest. It's the time to wait. So this morning, during this time, as we, if you'd all stand, we're going to worship together. But if this word is for you, you're weary. Your flesh is tired. You're distracted by things in life. Let me give you something. This is a tip that God wants to give you a refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the refreshing of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit within you that will empower you to run the race. We're going to talk more over the next weeks about the 
baptism of the Holy Spirit and what that is. But for you that know, baptism of the Holy Spirit should be a daily thing for you. Yes, there is this initial baptism, but there is a daily infilling, refilling, refreshing of the Holy Spirit that we can walk in. Lord, make me anew. Refresh me again today, Lord. Holy Spirit, come upon me. And as that happens, you're able to run the race undistracted by by the ways of the world. So that way you can see the world as Jesus sees them. So as we pray and worship this morning, come forward. We want to pray with you. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit and it's time for you, we would like to do that with you this morning. If it's a refreshing for you, we would like to do that with you this morning. If you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, oh, you have to. Because that's why you were born. You have to because that's why you were born. That's your purpose in life is to be drawn to your Father and to be reunited with Him again. And we'll pray with you. But don't leave here tired and weary this morning. All right? There's somebody that needs to hear this right now. That God is chasing you. God is chasing you. I've been impressed the last two weeks that things that are happening is the Spirit. It's not man. I, I, I think about the way that songs are put together, words come together. It's, it's, it's the Spirit. It's not man. Why is that important for you to know? Because it's Him showing His hand to you and how much He loves you. And He's chasing you. He wants you. I've got this troubled heart right now and I don't know what it is. It's, I, I sense that there's people that are oppressed, in bondage. And that's not God. He sent His sons to set you free. Are you, are you able to walk around with freedom? That's why He's chasing you, because He wants you free. He doesn't like seeing you walk around with your head down. Would you bow your heads for me and close your eyes? If you're here this morning and you truly feel bound up, maybe you are in this place of depression or confusion, You want to smile, but you just can't. If that's you, would you just raise your hand for me so I know? Thank you. Thank you. somebody here praying with you. Because you're not alone in this. Some of that is the lie. The lie is I'm depressed, I'm upset, I can't smile because I'm alone. 
you're not alone. Anybody else that needs to be prayed for to be set free from this? All right. Join with me, would you, in prayer? Dear God, we call upon you. And we thank you, first of all, and honor you, Lord, for chasing your creation. Chasing your people, those that you love so dearly that you've destined even this moment to encounter them. You've destined this moment to see them set free. And so, Lord, we as a family gather around them to let them know that they're not alone. And in Jesus' name, we pray that they're set free. Lord, I pray for joy. I pray for the oil of joy to be all over them, running over for others to see so that you can be glorified. Yes, Lord, the hurt was real, but the joy is overcoming. So, Lord, I pray that as they overcome the hurt in their life, as you overcome the hurt in their life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they won't be able to help but to be joyful. For the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. I pray, Lord, that there will be peace in their life as well. I thank you for you, Lord, sending your Son and sending the Holy Spirit to be with us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Next week, we'll be back in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Come back, would you? Let's grow together as a family. God bless you. Have a good day in the Lord.